So we're continuing our identity sermon series. And as we do that, I want to start out by revisiting Addison's sermon from just a couple of weeks ago. And by the way, I still don't have any video, so I'm waiting for that. Um, If you weren't here for that sermon, the sermon that was called Imitation Game, you should really take the time to go to our website and listen to the podcast. Addison did some really good stuff in that sermon. And in that sermon, Addison focused on the fact that our identity in Christ should be an identity that looks like Christ, that we should be imitators of Christ, that we should actively and intentionally work to follow Christ. And since we should be following Christ, that means that we need to be very careful about who else or what else we might choose to follow. Quick story, Tuesday afternoon, I was all set to ride my bike home, which I normally do. I had on my shorts, I had on my shirt, my helmet, my backpack, my sunglasses. I'm ready to go. And as I'm leaving the church building, Katie Pearson is walking in the door. She's coming in for the Tuesday night ladies' Bible class, and Katie asked me if I have a plan to deal with the rain that I'm about to go into. I had no idea I was about to go into some rain, so I took a quick look to the north, and sure enough, there's some rain clouds that direction. So I threw my phone and my wallet into a Ziploc bag, threw that into my backpack, and just headed out, because we know in New Mexico, just because it looks like it might rain doesn't mean that it's going to rain. So off I go. And within five minutes, it's sprinkling. And then the sprinkles turn into a downpour. But I keep on going because I'm so tough. No, not because I'm so tough, but once you're soaked, you just really can't get any wetter, right? So I just ride on. And as I'm going on the bicycle path, I cross under Candelaria, and there's two guys that are stopped there. They're young and fit. They have all the fancy gear. They're sheltered in place. They're off their bikes. They're out of the rain. I don't think of much about the two of them until I get to about Comanche, and they pull up alongside me. And they're smiling and kind of shaking their heads, and they're getting good and wet. And one of them says this to me. He says, we were going to wait it out, but when you came by, we decided if that guy can do it, So can we. Yeah. That guy. Don't you hate being that guy? And this is what I replied. I said, I'm not so sure that following my example is the best way to ensure that you're engaging in rational behavior. Now listen to this. No sooner had those words left my mouth than the rain stopped. True story, the rain stopped, I kid you not, the rain stopped suddenly. The rain stopped because the hail began. (laughs) And it's a pounding, painful hail. Good thing all three of us had our helmets on. What's the moral of that story? The moral of that story is be careful who you follow. Be careful who you imitate. So why did those two guys leave their shelter and follow a beat-up old guy on a beat-up old bike out into the rain? It's simple, really. I mean, I've done similar things. They did it because of peer pressure, right? A desire to fit in, a desire to belong. 
I can just imagine what was going through their mind. Oh, if that guy can do it, right, so can I. And that became, well, if that guy is doing it, then so should I. They weren't going to let a beat-up old guy on a beat-up old bike show them up. So they ended up soaked and beat up themselves by the hailstones. We know that peer pressure doesn't end at the age of 20 or 30 or 60 or 90. In fact, most of us throughout our lives have a very strong desire to belong, to fit in, to be accepted by the world, or at least some part of the world. And that's a problem. It's especially a problem for those of us who have taken on a new identity in Jesus Christ, a new identity as strangers and aliens in this world. It's a problem. It's a problem because we know, we know from experience, we know from observation, we know intuitively that if we reject citizenship in this world, then this world is often going to reject us. That's the way the world works, right? If you push back against this world and what this world stands for, if you push back against this world and what this world strives for, then you can be certain that this world is going to push back. If we reject citizenship in this world, the world will reject us. That's the way the world works. Which brings up what I think is a very important question. If that's true, and I think we all know that it is true, if it is true that the world will reject you if you reject it, if that is true, then why in the world would anyone choose to be a stranger and an alien? Or to put it stronger, why would anyone willingly choose rejection? Why would anyone choose that life? And the answer is Jesus. Why choose friendship with Jesus instead of friendship with the world? Why choose to follow Jesus instead of following the ways of this world? Why choose to imitate Jesus instead of imitating the ways of this world? Why choose citizenship in Jesus' kingdom instead of citizenship in this world? Why choose to be accepted by Jesus instead of striving to be accepted by this world? Why choose Jesus? Well, we choose Jesus because being accepted by Jesus satisfies all of our true needs. And we choose Jesus because Jesus chose to do the unimaginable. Jesus chose to do the unthinkable. Jesus chose to do the sacrificial. And he did that in order to accept you. So what did Jesus do? Well, let's remind ourselves of the unimaginable, unthinkable, sacrificial things that Jesus did for us. And start out by reading in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul wrote this. He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, 
being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What did Jesus do? Well, even though he was God and was with God from the very beginning, even though all things were created through him, although in his very essence and nature he is God, Jesus willingly left behind all of the prerogatives, all of the advantages of being divine. Instead of hanging on to all of the things he deserved as God, Jesus chose to become fully human. And he chose to come to this world and to align himself, to put himself on the side of broken people and broken in this broken world. And Jesus wasn't content to just be merely human. Instead, Jesus humbled himself even further and accepted the role of the very lowliest servant. He who is worthy of all service became a servant of all. And his service culminated in his death. And not just any death. As Bob shared with us earlier, Jesus was willing and obedient in his death. He willingly and obediently suffered the scandal. He suffered the public, the humiliating, the painful death of a common criminal. Jesus willingly suffered the scandal of the cross. And he did that for us. He did that for you. Paul said this in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. He said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, Jesus died on the cross for us because our sin had separated us from our God. Because our sin had made us God's enemies. So Jesus chose to die for us, to reconcile us to our God, to bring harmony between us and our God, to restore our friendship with our God. He did that to make us once more acceptable and accepted by our God. And the tragedy is most of the world turned the other way. They wouldn't leave behind the prerogatives of this world 
in order to follow the one who left behind the prerogatives of divinity. They wouldn't align themselves with the one who aligned himself with the broken people of this broken world. They wouldn't accept a life of service in the steps of the one who died serving them. They wouldn't suffer the scandal of being an alien and a stranger in this world in order to worship the one who died a scandalous death in order to make them citizens of heaven. They wouldn't die to themselves in order to be reconciled to the one who sent his only son to die for them. But for those who didn't, and for those who don't turn away from Jesus, that tragedy has been replaced with victory. This is what John said in John chapter 1 and verse 10. He said, Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. John tells us that Jesus accepts those who accept him. He accepts them as children of God, as his co-heirs. And I want you to know, in Christ, that's who you are. The truth is that in Christ, the truth is that those who believe in Christ, the truth is that those who confess his name, the truth is that those who have put on Christ in baptism, the truth is that those who walk with him in obedience... The truth is that those of you have been accepted by him as a child of God and a citizen of heaven can call on God as your true father. You are his children. That's who you are. And being accepted by Christ gives you a new identity because you accept a new way of living. It's a new way of living. It's no longer following the world and its ways. It's no longer imitating the world and its attitudes and actions. It's no longer striving to belong and fit in and be accepted by the world. Instead, it's following Jesus and his ways. It's imitating Jesus and his attitudes and actions. It's striving to fit in, fit into Jesus' steps. Because that's who you are. That's who you are because you answered Jesus' call to come follow me. His call to come imitate me. And when we, when those in Christ, when Christians answer that call and do follow and do imitate, when we're drawn closer to Jesus, something amazing happens in the church. We're also drawn closer to each other. See, being accepted by Jesus and accepting his call is a unifying thing. Being accepted by Jesus and answering call is unifying because we're all listening to the same voice. We're all listening to Jesus' voice. 
And that stands in stark contrast to this world's call. Or I should say it stands in stark contrast to this world's calls. And I say calls because this world doesn't have a unified call, does it? No, this world has an infinite number of divisive calls. This world is full of competing voices striving for your attention. Saying, follow me. No, don't follow him, follow me. No, don't follow them, follow me. You must follow me. The voices of the world are in competition with each other. The voices of the world are in opposition to each other. And you can't answer them all. And since you can't answer them all, you find that you also are in competition. That you're also in opposition. You're in competition with and opposition to other people who have answered maybe a different call. So we need to know that being accepted by the world, by answering any of its calls, that's divisive. Because we're all listening to different voices. And that's a trap that's easy for us to fall into. And when we fall into that trap, what happens is the divisiveness of the world finds its way into the church. And the unity of the church, the unity of the body is shattered. The early church struggled with the trap. I want you to listen to Paul's concern for the early churches as they struggled with unity. As they struggled with ignoring the voices of the world. First from Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26. Paul writes to the church and he says, You are all children of God. You're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And then in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, he writes to the church and says, You have taken off your old self, your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Therefore, here in the church, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Those are the things that divided the world in Jesus' time. That's what threatened to divide the church in Paul's time. It was those competing and opposing voices. It was those competing and opposing identities. The Jewish Christians looked down on the Greek Christians and the Greeks resented the Jews. The Christians who were free felt superior to those who were slaves and they expected the worldly positions to carry over to the church. The circumcised Christians took pride in their religious heritage and they expected the uncircumcised to have the surgery in order to be truly and fully accepted. Male Christians imitating the world order lorded it over female Christians. 
And Christians whose sins weren't very obvious counted themselves holy while refusing to forgive those sinners whose sins happened to be more public. And Paul's quick to step in and say, you know, it's unfortunate that the world operates divisively in that way. It's unfortunate. But it is inexcusable for the church. It is inexcusable for the body of Christ to operate that way. It's inexcusable for children of God who were baptized into Christ and have clothed themselves with Christ to operate in those divisive ways. Because here in the church, Christ is all and is in all. But that was then and this is now, right? Well, don't we wish? Sure, maybe the categories have changed over the last 2,000 years, but those divisive voices haven't gone away. And the threat to the unity of the church hasn't gone away. The threat to those who have been accepted out of this divisive world and into Christ's unified body, that hasn't gone away. You know, you don't have to spend much time on Facebook. You don't even have to listen in to too many conversations in the halls to know that the divisiveness of this world is constantly threatening the unity of the church. So let me remind us of who we are in Christ. Here in the church, there is neither black nor white nor brown Because here, Christ is all and is in all. Here in the church, there is neither Republican nor Democrat. Because here, Christ is all and is in all. Here in the church, there is neither American nor Mexican nor Canadian nor Ukrainian. Because here, Christ is all and is in all. Here in the church, there is neither Ph.D., nor M.S., nor B.A., nor high school graduate, nor junior high dropout. Because here, Christ is all and is in all. Here in the church, there's neither one percenters nor 99 percenters. Because here, Christ is all and is in all. And I could go on and on. But here, Christ is all and is in all. You see, all those categories, that's not who we are. You aren't your race. You aren't your politics. You aren't your nationality. You aren't your education. You aren't your bank account. You aren't your geography. No, we are the church bought at a price, accepted by Jesus and reconciled to God. And brothers and sisters, the church shouldn't ever look like this divisive world. In fact, it's our unity that reveals our true identity to this world. I want you to listen to Jesus' prayer, the prayer that he said for us. And find it in John chapter 17. Begins in verse 20. And Jesus has just prayed for his apostles. 
the Christians to be who were there with him. And then he turns his attention to us, the Christians to come. And he prays this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Those who will believe in Jesus through their message. I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they, may we be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, it's our unity that reveals our identity in Christ to this divisive world. So let me ask, in Christ, who are you? Well, let me tell you who you are. You have been accepted by Jesus Christ. You've been accepted by Jesus Christ out of this divisive world and into his unified body. That's who you are. So church, may we be unified in this divisive world. So this divisive world will know that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever accepts him will be accepted into eternal life. Church, may we be unified as a body so the world will see God's love. Because here, in the church, Christ is all and is in all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for accepting us even in our sin. And Father, bring us to unity with you and unity with each other so the world can see your love in us. Father, bless us with unity. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Let me end by giving you identity challenge number 11, and simply it's one question. Who in the church do you need to accept just as Christ accepted you. As the scripture says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. May God be praised. Let's stand. Let's bring our praise to God.